Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, go to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> As you're turning there, you know, uh, Christmas is this uh, unique time of the year um, where, where I think we can really pull back and, and take a look at the whole story of God's Word, the, the whole story of what we would call the gospel, where, where we have this good news of new life, this good news of forgiveness, of redemption. And so during Christmas time, I mean, the, the churchy word for it is Advent season. Advent just meaning that there's something coming. There's an, a, a waiting, that we're waiting for something. And so there's this, this unique opportunity at Christmas to kind of look at what are we waiting for? What, what was being waited for in Scripture? And you go all the way back to Genesis and, and, you, and you go all the way back to the beginning where God created the universe to, to share himself, for him to be glorified. And he creates humankind in his image to, to know him and to share in this rule over creation. But then we also read in Genesis, there was a, a, a rebellion, an insurrection where Adam and Eve, they wanted to fully rule. They didn't want to come under God's rule or God's authority. And in that moment, this peace, this shalom, this, this harmony of the Garden of Eden that God had created, it was shattered. Now instead of peace and trust, there's discord, there's brokenness. That, that relationship, relationship between God and us was broken in that moment. That relationship between people and each other was broken and, and the, the peace of creation now ruined. But, but God right away makes this promise in Genesis chapter 3 where he says, listen, a rescue is coming. There would be peace again. And then from that first promise in Genesis 3, you see these more promises coming again and again all through the Old Testament. We, we call them covenants. God would say, here's my covenant with you, this, this legally binding promise that he would make. A promise made to Noah, made to Abraham, made to Moses, made to David. And then finally in Christ, this new promise, this new covenant that's fully realized because Jesus came. That, that's the joy of Christmas, that, that Jesus has come and, and through his life and then his death in our place, his resurrection, now all the promises of scripture become our promises. Not just a, a, a promise to a specific nation or a family line, but, but now through Christ, we're brought into these promises. Romans 11 says we're, we're grafted into the tree as the fulfilled people of God. All of this completed in Christ. I mean, that, that's the Christmas story, that, that Jesus has come to redeem, to restore, to fulfill the promise, to restore us to, to God, to, to restore us to each other. And, and here, though, is the part where we can sort of miss this. And, and you're thinking, man, this sounds like a Christmas message, but I thought we're still in this church series. And, and here's, here's why this is so important. This plan for redemption and restoration in Christ happens through the church. I mean, have you thought about that? I think we can miss this. Well, we, can, we can separate it so much where we believe, yes, this is fully only through Christ that, that we're redeemed and restored, but we, we forget that the mission of this good news was given to us by Christ. Saying, hey, I'll build my church, Jesus says. And then he turns around and says to us, now go. Go make disciples. We're God's plan for restoration. We are it. This is it. We're God's plan for, for redemption. And you think about, man, man, what a privilege that is. And what a responsibility it is. 
fact, with that responsibility, with that privilege in mind, I want to jump in this morning to the topic we have this morning as we're unpacking what is a church, what does it look like according to God's word, to talk about what about church leadership? What does it look like to be, to be in a church with, with godly church leadership, leaders that, that are, are loving, serving, and leading? Now, here you go. You may have rolled in this morning. You're thinking, really? Like, how is this going to apply to my life, Pastor Kai? Like, what, all the stuff that's going on in my life and, and COVID added into it, that's just made it even more complicated. And maybe it's in your work and your family and your school where things are just more complicated now. And you're thinking, how does this apply to my life? Listen, church leadership will impact the mission of our church. Church leadership will impact the mission, not just of our church to, to Muskoka and to the nations, but it'll impact the mission of the gospel in your life. In fact, as I was prayerfully studying this message, I came across this quote by a guy named E.M. Bounds, and, and he's a guy who would normally challenge me in the area of prayer. He writes a lot on prayer, but he had this quote about church leadership, and he said this, a church rarely revolts against or rises above the religion of its leaders. What's he saying there? He's saying that a, a church will usually reflect the leadership of that church. And, and I just thought about that quote and how, how humbling and challenging and, and even scary that quote is for a pastor. That, that if there's a church that's unhealthy, it likely points to, to places that are unhealthy in the lives of the leadership. I mean, it's so important for us to, to lean in because I would guess this, that, that here in this church and those who are watching online, you could probably say, yeah, yeah, in my life, I can point to godly leaders of churches that have just poured into me and encouraged me and challenged me. But there are probably many of you here as well who could also say, I can point to leaders who failed and hurt me and wounded me in the church. I spent so much of my lifetime as one of those people who so disillusioned by church leadership. I'm like, I don't even know if I want to be a part of a church anymore. It's so important for us to lean into this so that we're, we're going to be a healthy church led by healthy leaders growing as healthy followers. We've already unpacked this verse a number of times in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, when that New Testament church was formed in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, one, how cool would that be? In Acts chapter two, you actually have literal apostles teaching you, those who had been with Christ. You'd roll in on church on Sunday morning and Peter is like, let me tell you about Jesus, right? And James is leading your small group. That, that's pretty wild. But, but what happens in, in Acts is this huge church is growing in Jerusalem and persecution begins to come onto the church. The, the, the Roman government begins to add restrictions saying you're not gonna do this. And so, so they, they protested and no, they didn't do that. What they did was they prayed and said, God, what are we gonna do? And, and God, I love this. Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. All part of God's sovereign plan because in that persecution, the church is scattered. And now instead of being this one mega church in Jerusalem, now they're scattered. They start to move out from there under that persecution, going out with the gospel message of hope. And they're preaching and teaching about Jesus. They're loving and, and caring for people to show the gospel message. And churches are being planted all over. Now, what do they do as they're starting up these churches? Well, here's a verse for you, Acts 14, verse 23. I've got it up on the screen here, so you don't need to turn there. It says this, it says, when, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. 
with prayer and fast, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What's it say? It says that they're raising up elders in the church. And you notice here, what's it say? They appointed elders, plural. It's going to be important for us as we unpack this. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point for us this morning. Elders are called to lead the church. We see it there in, in that verse that, that they, when they planted a church, they raised up elders. Here you see in 1 Peter, if you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 1 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, the shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You'll notice just like in Acts 14, the word there, elder, it's plural, not just one elder. So I, I believe that as, as God calls leaders to the church, he does not call churches to have one pastor. I am not the, the one-man show of this church. It's not me leading Harvest as, as, as a pastor here, but a part of a group, a plurality of elders. Each one of us leading. How are they leading? Look, look, look at these verses. It's a group of elders. And what's it say? It says, I, I, I exhort you to do what? Verse two says to shepherd the flock of God. That word shepherd, it's, it's translated. You see, this is the New Testament written in Greek, first translated into Latin before we got it into our English Bibles. In the Latin, that word shepherd there was translated into a word that sounds like pastor. So pastor is like a transliteration of that Latin word. It's where we get the word pastor from. It just means shepherd. So when you think pastor, think shepherd. Shepherds, shepherds who are, who are called to care and to lead. How, how do shepherds do that? Shepherds lead sheep to where there's pastures full of food that they can eat. Shepherds protect sheep from danger. Now he goes on here, what's he say? Shepherd, the flock of God. Verse two goes on and says, exercising oversight. Paul says the same thing in, in, in Acts chapter 20 where he says, as the Holy Spirit gives you oversight on these, of these churches, be overseers, pastors and overseers, leading. So leading a church as a group, as a family, so, so your elders would be charged to do that. How do we lead? I mean, in this pandemic, there's been some weird ways we've had to lead. As elders to make these, these decisions where, where when it first happened, you remember, we, we didn't meet as a church. The government hadn't shut things down. We just looked and go, wait a minute. We don't know what this thing is. Maybe it's best if that first Sunday, let's, let's just not meet together as a church and we just shut things down. That's not an easy decision to make, but as elders, we feel that's our call. We need to lead. And then as we reopen and go, what's it look like? I can tell you. I mean, there's nowhere in scripture where I can go, okay, what do you do? How do you space chairs six feet apart, right? But we're called to lead well. And so as elders, we've had to make some calls, some decisions about what it means to meet together. Let me give you one real practical one that we prayed through a lot. It was this, this thing, when, when, when you get the, the, what comes from the health, you know, one of the things they said, they had a lot of rules and regulations. We're following every one of those. We want to be careful to be, to be good neighbors who love you well and love our neighbors well. So we're going to follow all these restrictions they put. But one of them was just a suggestion, but it was strongly worded. It said, we would, we would re strongly recommend no singing. And his elders were like, hmm. 
I don't know if we can do that one. Now, it's not written as a, you have to do this like some of these other ones. Where it just, we just discourage it. That was the word. We discourage it. We're like, you know what? We believe that God's called us to gather to worship. So, so we're going to wear masks and we're going to sing. Again, that, that's elders leading the church. But, but not just leading as an organization. Elders are also called to be overseers of individual souls to guide people in the word, to, to lead people through difficult seasons of, of illness or, or death or unemployment or, or difficult relationship seasons. And I like how, how, how Peter says as he's writing this to these elders, he's saying, I exhort you. There's a strong word there. You see, Peter's writing to churches that were under persecution. It was not an easy time to be an elder as Peter's writing this letter. And so he's, he's pressing in saying, no, no, you can't step back. You can't fall back. You, you have to step into this. And so as elders, as overseers, to step into those hard situations, to lead, to lead well, to lead strongly. But look again at the, at the word there. Look at verse 2 again. It says exercising oversight, okay, to step in, to lead well, to lead strongly, but what's it say? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a deep humility that elders are called to. To be true elders, there's, 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 a, there's a humility in that. Yeah, for sure there's strength needed to lead, but it's strength in humility. In fact, look at verse 4. Here's why elders need to be humble. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Wait a minute, there's a, there's a chief shepherd here. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Elders of a church are not the ultimate shepherds of the church. They're not the ultimate leaders. Elders of a church are under shepherds. They're serving under the chief ultimate leader and caregiver. And, and in the love of Christ, he appoints elders for these under shepherds for churches to lead and to love, listen, like he does. I mean, verse three says, lead by example. Now, what's that mean for members of a church? What's it mean for, for, for you if you're a member of this church? And we already talked in the first sermon how, how when we talk about church in the New Testament, it's, it's usually typically talking about local churches and the church in Corinth, the church at Ephesus. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. I'll put this on the screen for you. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Okay, this is a tough verse to preach as a pastor. It seems very self-serving. Here's a verse, obey me, all right? I mean, a verse like this could be used to do a lot of damage if it's elders who aren't leading like Jesus. Here's where it doesn't, here's where there's the protection of that kind of leadership. Look at the second part of the verse. You do this as an elder as those who will have to give an account. Listen, your elders of this church will stand before God to give account for your life, the people we lead. Now, now who are the people that, that an elder gives account to? I, I am not responsible as a pastor for, for every Christian in the global church. 
I'm not responsible for Christians across Muskoka. That, that's not who I give account to. I'm responsible for those who would say, this is my church. I'm a member of Harvest Church. This is my family. And listen, let me say it the other way. As a member of this church, you are not responsible to follow every elder or pastor of every church. Well, you're a member of this church. Look what it says in 1 Peter. Verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory of that which should be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, who? That is among you. I would say this, this is why membership actually is important. And again, I've said it before, we haven't pushed this very hard as a church, and that, that's, that's a poor leadership on my part. Because membership is so important. There, there is a protection that comes when you say, you know what, I'm committing to this church. This is my church. Why? Because you're saying, this is, this is the church where I, I attend and these are the elders that care for me. These are the ones who lead me. I follow them as they follow Christ. This is my family. Now listen, here's where church can be hard, even as I say that. What did I say? I say, many of you could list pastors or elders who have been such an encouragement to you, but, but many of you also could say, yeah, but here's where I've been hurt or wounded by those who have not led well. Elders aren't perfect leaders, but listen, we'll give an account to God for how we lead, and I want to just say this so clearly, your elders take that part of the verse very seriously. And I can't promise you that, that you'll have perfect elders. I can't promise you that I'll never fail you, that I'm never gonna mess up. But here's what I can promise you today. Here's what the elders of your church, if you're a member of this church, we can promise you this, that before we teach the Bible, I promise that we will have submitted to it, our hearts being changed by it before we bring it to you to say, here's what God's word says. I can promise you that if we're gonna challenge you on your character, on, on where you're following Christ, it's because we've first been challenged on our character and, and continually be challenged on that. If, if as elders, we're gonna call you to live your life on mission for God, it's because we're gonna first be living our lives on mission for God. I, I can promise you if I'm gonna call you to not just be a consumer of church, but, but be a partaker to actually jump in and serve, it's, it's because we as elders are gonna serve you in this church. If we're gonna call you to give of your finances, we're gonna first be sacrificial givers for the expansion of the kingdom of God. If we're gonna call you to repent, it's only gonna be because we're living our lives in repentance of sin in our hearts, in our lives. I would say this, you do not have perfect elders, but, but, but what we're calling you to, what scripture calls you to as you come under the leadership of elders of a church is, is that you recognize, wait a minute, they're following actually a chief shepherd that I'm following to. That the ultimate authority is, is Jesus. And if that's the case, look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, how do we do this? I think humility is the key. I think humility in leading and humility in following. And here's why I say that. I heard someone say this just last week, that, that humility is like the oil in the engine. 
that the church is like this engine and all of us are these gears, these parts of the engine of the church. And because we're all moving, there's friction at times, right? You feel that, right? Where we sometimes are, 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 there's friction between one another. There might be friction between elders and, and people that are members of the church. There might be friction between each other. And, and humility is that oil in the engine. Because that friction can wear a church out, can wear an engine out, unless there's oil in it. Enough humility that we can move freely. Listen, if, if elders are humble, if, if a congregation is humble, we move out on mission smoothly. Without humility, we're going to grind to a halt. So what do we do? We all keep our eyes on Christ as the chief shepherd. We walk in humility as, as elders lead from God's word. Here's the second thing that elders do in a church. What does church leadership do? If we lead, we also elders care for the church. Care for the church. I, I like that word in, in, in 1 Peter here. It says that, that elders should shepherd. That, that picture of a shepherd, yeah, it gives the idea of leadership, but you also get that idea of care. That It's not leading like a CEO leads a business. There's, there's care in this where, where shepherds watch over the flock. They, they protect the flock. They, they give care to herding sheep. They go after wandering sheep. And so what do caring elders do? Caring elders will preach and teach the word of God clearly. Caring elders will call you to repentance. Caring elders will, will protect our church from, from bad teaching. Caring elders will, will go after those who are wandering away from Christ. Caring elders will rebuke those or even, listen, listen, bring discipline to those who are wolves. Caring elders will walk with you in dark valleys. Caring elders will raise up other leaders to, to meet needs well. In fact, as I say that, caring elders raise up other leaders. There's another biblical leadership role we find in the church that's not just about elders leading. In fact, flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just go back a few pages, a couple of books till you get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. What's going on? In, in, in Acts chapter 6, we see this other leadership role developing in the early church. And, and what's happening is the church is growing so fast, needs are coming in so fast, so fast that, that hurting members of the early church were falling through the cracks. Widows weren't being well cared for. And they're going, hey, what's going on? We're not being cared for well. And so the church begins to say, we need to do something about this. They raise up what we would now call deacons. In fact, if you're at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you see that word in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Deacons. Diakonos, the, the literal meaning of that, that Greek word is servants. Where deacons step in to serve where there are needs. And it could be physical needs in the church. It could be financial needs that need, need managing. It could, be, it could be any sort. And in fact, in our church, there's just basically, you see the role of deacon in the, in the New Testament. And there's not a lot of specifics to it because I think it's, hey, what's going on in your local church that needs that kind of practical care? So for us, deacons of care, deacons of benevolence, deacons of finance, deacons uh, looking after what we're doing in global and local missions, deacons of taking care of the business of the church or the buildings that we have. And as deacons, they, they walk in partnership with the elders of the church so that we can flourish on mission, the mission we're called to by Jesus, where the gospel is preached and the gospel's lived out. 
Now, I want to quickly make note of something, and it, it's a, something I want to talk about just real quickly. As, as you look at leadership in the church, and you think about elders and deacons in the church, th- this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 13, and, and a bunch of other passages in scriptures, in the scripture, you, you're going to see why we as a church very clearly, very boldly would say, hey, we, we only have male elders. Only men serve in the role as elders in our church. Men and women serve as deacons. I fully realize even just saying that, it goes against the grain of our culture, right? Just like, just like what we would preach the Bible says about family, about marriage, that in God's word, he's called husbands to, to be the leaders in their families as, as a picture of Christ's love for the church. So husbands are the ones who lay down their lives sacrificially to lead in their home. And, and here's what I would say, this whole idea of leadership and, and, and elders and husbands and all this, it's not a matter of equality. Scripture's so clear that men and women are equal, but they're not the same. Our culture would say they're interchangeable. There really isn't any such thing as male and female anymore. We're saying, no, 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 they're distinct. There's value in being a woman. There's value in being a man. They're equal before God, but they have different roles. And so Harvest, we would affirm the God-ordained significant role that women would play in establishing, growing, and leading in local churches. Every leadership opportunity open to women except those that are excluded in Scripture, which we would read would be elders. I want to say this too. By no, by no means in saying that does Scripture ever give any indication that men are superior in any way to women. It's not, not God's, God, God's design for the family. It's not God's design for the church. And it would be sinful, it would be a shame for us if in our church there is not a place for women to flourish in leadership. Here in 1 Timothy, you see these two roles. And you see the role of deacon as one of those important roles in the church for both men and women. And I don't want to spend too much time here. We can unpack this more if you have more questions about, hey, how come men only as elders? Or, or man, I was raised in a church where deacons couldn't be women either. You guys have women and men as deacons. We can talk about that more. But just real quickly, look at verse 11. As we talk about deacons, it says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders. It goes on with this list of qualifications for verse 11, their wives. Here's something I never like to do. I never like to say, hey, in your Bible, that translation isn't clear. But I'm gonna say it here. In your Bible, that translation is not clear. In fact, that word there isn't there in the original. In the original, it just says wives or women likewise. So you you see the the flow of argument as Paul's laying this out and he starts with, hey, elders should be like this. Then verse eight, likewise, deacons should be like this. And then verse 11, likewise, women should be like this. There's not a, hey, elders' wives should look like this, which is weird because you think if it was just about wives, what, so elders' wives don't need any sort of qualifications? That, That would seem odd as those who are leading the church. There's a separate line here that's saying, and women who serve as deacons should look like this. And so listen, as a church, We want to seek out more and more deacons, men and women who are leading servants here in our church. And that's how we're looking for deacons. We kind of look around and go, who's already doing the role? Who's already serving in this way? Who's serving in different positions? We can can say, would you step into this role in an official sense? And what are we going to do? We're going to look through 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look through these qualifications and go, can we say this about your life as a deacon in our church? 
And imagine that. Imagine a church filled with servant leaders, elders and deacons, humbly seeking after Christ. Christ as the ultimate authority, making sure that every member of our church is cared for, making sure we're preaching clearly God's word, making sure we're, making sure we're showing what, what it looks like for, for our lives to live under the authority of Christ, for us to be on mission with his good news to the world. Imagine these leading servants, deacons, men and women, leading out in all kinds of ways across the church. I know I move quickly past something that is kind of a, a hot topic, but I'm going to keep moving. If you have any questions, just grab Peter Gibson. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm running out of time here. Let, let me quickly get on to our next point. The whole purpose of deacons in Acts chapter 6, why did they install these deacons to take care of these practical needs of the church? It says in Acts chapter 6, they did it, why? Because the elders were saying, listen, we have a call on our lives to pray and to preach. And so if we're gonna be moved into so many different areas of ministry that it pulls us away from that primary role we have, we need to do something about that. And so for our third point, it's this. As you think about leaders and elders, elders teach the word. Elders teach the word. I'm going to read through the qualifications of an elder here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but there's, there's one qualification in the qualifications of an elder that's not in the qualifications of a deacon. And you can see it at the end of verse 2 there that deacons must be able, or sorry, elders must be able to teach. Able to teach. It's a primary role as an elder that you'd be able to teach. In fact, when you read through the qualifications of both deacon and elders here, you read through those, and I heard someone say this, that the one thing that's remarkable about these lists is how unremarkable they are. They're not this, this hey, this is what a super Christian looks like, so they get to be elders. You read through this list, you're like, wait a minute, I think we're all called to these. Be respectful, be hospitable. Don't be a drunkard. It's a pretty low bar. You want to be an elder? Hey, don't always get drunk. Oh, that's pretty good. I think I could do, right? Don't be quarrelsome. Okay, I don't fight people. All right. Like this list is for all of us, yet there's this one thing in there that you have to be able to teach. Because an elder's leadership, listen, it's so tied to the authority of God's word. If our chief shepherd, if the ultimate leader is Jesus, and, and we don't physically have Jesus coming in here, getting up on stage and going, hey, let me tell you how I want you to follow me. We don't have that. What do we have? How does Jesus lead? He leads through his word. This is where, where Christ speaks to us more, most clearly. And so as elders, you have to be somebody who can study, memorize, meditate, clearly communicate the word of God. Elders can't lead a church without God's word. So elders need to know God's word, be able to communicate God's word effectively. An elder's job is not to be a life coach for you. An elder's job is, is not to be a motivational speaker. An elder's God-given role, given by scripture, is to dive deep into God's word, into the vast, unsearchable riches of his word, and then teach them to his people. That's what elders are called to do to lead people to see Jesus more clearly in his word, to, to do like what Jesus called Peter to do in John 21. Do you remember that? Jesus meets Peter on the beach, and what's he say to Peter over and over again? Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Listen, physical sheep eat grass, but Christians eat the word of God. And so elders and pastors who are under the authority of the chief shepherd 
They care for the body of Christ. They lead the body of Christ. They, they teach the word of Christ. But lastly, what I want us to see this morning is that church leaders need to model the character of Christ. Our last point is this. Elders model Jesus. Elders model Jesus. You see the list of qualifications here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, another word for elder, remember that? Pastor, overseer, shepherd, elder. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, if you put that list together with what we read in 1 Peter, you start to get a, a picture of the character qualifications of, of what an elder would look like. A, a similar list is in, in Titus chapter 1 for elders and deacons there. Now, 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 before we talk about what's on this list, as you think about, okay, what, what is a leader called to? Let me, let me say what's not on the list. Number one that's not on the list is an age requirement. Now, it does say not a recent convert, so there needs to be some maturity, some spiritual seasoning, some you've walked with Jesus for a while, but, but this letter is being written to a guy named Timothy who Paul says very clearly, don't let people look down on you because you're too young. So a young man can be an elder. I say that because I'm so young. <laughs> Here's another thing that's not on the list. Success in business is not on the list. Right? Maybe you grew up in a church where it seemed like, man, all the key business people in the community are elders of the church. You don't have to listen. We've we got to make sure we're not looking to the world's definition of what a good leader is, but we're looking to God's word. I'm not saying that good business people don't make good elders, but it, it doesn't, one does not equal the other. What's, the, what's, what's God's definition? What's the character qualification he lays out? Because they're so critical. Now, again, here's why I don't want you to check out in this sermon. I don't want you to think, well, it says here, those who aspire to be an elder. I don't aspire to that. I don't really want to be a deacon. I don't want to be an elder. How does this apply to me? There's nothing on this list that God doesn't desire for every one of us as Christians. Really, what's, it's kind of the point, isn't it? If, if elders are called to be an example to the flock, to be models of the character of Christ, Hebrews 13, 7 says to watch your leaders, their way of life, imitate their faith. So, so, so I mean, just saying that is, is a scary thing to say as a pastor, as a leader, that, that listen, an elder's life, that you would say, okay, Pastor Kai, your life, your faith is intended to be imitated. I mean, that's a high calling for an elder. But that's what we're asking of those who would say, I want to be an elder or a deacon of this church. As an elder, we want to be sure that if someone's leading at harvest as an elder, that we could say, hey, follow this person's life. I mean, think about what's listed here. As, as we're approaching somebody who's a potential elder of our church, we're asking things like, oh, is he self-controlled? Is he addicted to anything, whether it be alcohol or pornography or food or anything? Are there addictions in his life? Is he wise? Is he peaceable? 
Is he gentle? Is he a sacrificial giver? Can't be a lover of money. So, so is he greedy? Is, is he humble? When you start to see this picture of a shepherd, this is not a, a glamorous job. Is he patient? Is he honest? Is he disciplined? We're looking at these personal characteristics of a, of a pastor's or elder's life, but you also look at their, at their, at their family life. If he's married, you ask the question, are, are, is this guy a servant leader in his home? An elder or a pastor can't lead the church under the authority of Christ if he can't lead his own family under the authority of Christ. So is he leading his family? Is he caring for them? Is he teaching his family the word? Husband of one wife, it says, a better way of translating that would be, is he a one-woman man? Is he just all in for his wife, just loving her, committed to her so well? Can you see how he's sacrificing for her and loving and caring for her? Because that's how he'll love and care for the church. If he has children, do his kids honor him. You begin to look at an elder's business life and public life. Is he hospitable? Is he kind? Is, is he a friend of strangers? Does, does he show favoritism? Or, or when people look at his life, would it say that, that he's blameless? I mean, this person is so above reproach. That doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that everybody in the community thinks this person's perfect because we're not. No elder is perfect, but, but it would be this. If an accusation came against one of your elders, is, are your elders those kind of people where you'd say, man, there's no way that's true. I've seen how this person lives. That's an elder. Is he on mission for the gospel? Does he love the word? Is he, is he a man of prayer? Is he holy? I mean, these are hard questions to ask. And as I was preparing this week, I'm, I'm praying to God as I'm writing the sermon, as I'm looking in the word, I'm like, God, make me more like this kind of leader for our church. And it gets me to the point where you should read through that list where it drops you to your knees and say, I can't do this. Jesus, I need you. I need your spirit's power. I need your grace. Let me end with two challenges for you as Eric comes up to lead us in worship. Here's the first challenge for you. How do you what do you do with, with this message, with what's laid out for us here in God's word? I would say, here's my first challenge for you, and it's gonna seem self-serving, but it's, it's for us as a church. I would say this, pray for your elders. Pray for those who lead. Pray for your deacons. Pray that they would lead well. Pray that they would exemplify this call. Understand that, that Satan knows that quote I used earlier, that a church will only rise as high as the leadership goes, that, that Satan knows that too, and he's gonna do everything he can to take out the leaders of a church. And so pray for protection. Pray for them well. Follow your leaders well, humbly and graciously. Here's the second thing I want you to do with this. Look at this list here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And ask this, God, create this in me. God, I, I want to be this kind of follower of you. This is a call for all of us. So I would say this, I would say even this week, more than just this morning, that maybe you would take this and maybe you'd, you'd write out on a journal or a piece of paper or in your phone, you would, you would make this actually a list and, and list out what are the things that, that, that I'm being called to as a follower of Christ. List them out, lay them over top of your life. 
And ask this, would I be able to say to somebody, follow me as I follow Christ? So let me ask you this. Where do you need to surrender today? Where specifically do you need God's grace as you see this list? Where do you need God's power? I mean, let's pursue this together. I I can't promise you that Harvest will have perfect leaders, but I want you to know something. Your elders and your deacons love Jesus. The greatest desire of our hearts is to point you, not to us, because we will fail, but to point you to the one who will never fail, to point you to Jesus. Right now, our worship is going to lead us in a song, and I want to ask you to do this as you sing. Take the time, even right now, even before before Eric leads us out, there'll be just a a moment of just quiet where you can look through these verses and, and ask that question, where does my life not match up here? What do you need to this morning to bring to the cross, to recognize that that's what Christmas is about, that Jesus Christ came, lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived these out perfectly and then died on our behalf for those, those, those qualifications that we don't meet up to that Christ said, I took the punishment, all the wrath, so that you could be declared righteous. Where do you need to say, Lord, my life does not live up to this. Thank you for your grace. God, change me. And maybe even right now, before you sing, you have a heart of repentance. As you read through those verses, what is it that stands out to you? Take this to the Lord.